Good morning. Welcome to Hot Dog Sunday. Glad that you are here today. We're, we're going to talk again today about heaven. And you see our theme verse is on the top of your outline. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. And there's another verse I want to add to that uh, today. It's in Ecclesiastes. It says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. So this desire to know about heaven and eternity comes from God. Now, we've been talking a lot about information the past two weeks. Lots and lots of amounts of information. And I really, I wanted to say this again, I really appreciate all the feedback and the questions um, I've received from so many of you guys. It's been very helpful. Please continue to send them. I haven't been able to get back to very many of you all because there's been a, quite a volume and some of the questions are really, it would take a long time. But I am reading, I want you to know, I am reading all of them and it's helping to shape where we're going. A lot of the questions are leading us into the book of Revelation and we're not going there right now. We're not going to like do a full-blown study on the book of Revelation. I've, somebody's got to figure it out for me and then I've got to understand it. So we'll we got a little ways to go on that, but uh, I really appreciate all the feedback, and do please continue to send them. But we've been dealing a lot with information, and when you receive a lot of biblical information without adequate application, it's a dangerous thing. Maybe you've heard the old saying, information without application leads to constipation. So... Today, I want to do, just in the beginning, a, a few minutes kind of tidying up a few things, questions that I've received quite a bit, and uh, then I want to switch gears. I want us to talk about application. I want us to talk about, okay, so now what? So now that we understand there's this incredible place that God has made called heaven, now what? What do we do between now and then? So let's just start with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to jump into a question that I was immediately hit with after both services last week. People immediately came to me and asked me this question, and then emails this past week and phone calls was all centered around this one question. It was the most popular one after last week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to talk about. There's so much in there that we could use in our lives right here, right now, every day, today, and improve. See a difference. See you at work in our lives. Just all kinds of incredible things. Lord, be with us today as we talk about your word and your scripture. Speak to us. Maybe in a way that we came in this one, we totally unexpected. That, or maybe we came today and we like totally expected that, God, you're going to speak to us. But however we walked in, I pray that, God, you would meet us here today and you would speak to us through your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so the information that I was, I mean, the, the question that I was hit with immediately uh, last week was cremation. Everybody wanted to know about cremation immediately. Said, so if we're going to have physical bodies and there's this resurrection and we looked at Jesus Christ was resurrected in his physical bodies, in his physical body, what about cremation? Is it okay for me or is it okay for people to be cremated? You know, like totally I'm destroying the body. So here's, here's my best stab at this. Genesis 2.7 says that God formed Adam out of what? The dust of the ground, out of the dust of the ground. And so when, if you go to a funeral, you often hear this, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So you're pass away, when you do pass away, and you know maybe you're lying in that grave for a thousand years, what's going to happen to your body after a thousand years? 
right? You're going to go to dust, right? That's what we say, dust to dust. So what happens almost instantaneously when you're cremated? Dust. You ever, you ever seen somebody's ashes that's been cremated? Anybody? A couple of you have? I have. So it's dust. So whether you do that in a thousand years or you do that instantaneously, God was able to form Adam out of the dust of the ground. So he did it once. And he's going to be able to do it again. So this is, this is a non-issue. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about the crea- uh, cremation issue. So I, I hope that makes sense. That's just kind of a short answer, but it just did it once. God's going to do it again. Now, as a side note, I used to work with a pastor who uh, was part owner of a funeral home. And his partner, it was a good business, yeah, you know, <laughs> pastor and funeral home thing. So his his partner in the business owned like one of the only crematories in this entire area. So when Jack Kent Cook, the owner of the Redskins, uh, when he died, he was sent to this crematory, one of the only ones in the area. Do you know how his wife, his loving wife, sent him to be cremated? You ready for this? In Dallas Cowboys colors. I know, I felt the same way. For those of you who felt that deep pain there for a second, can you imagine that? It has nothing to do with the Bible and what we're talking about today, but I had, <laughs> I had to share that with you because it's bothered me ever since I heard that many years ago. What is the location of heaven? Uh, lots of people have asked me what the location of heaven, and when, when I was asked that initially, I thought that people were saying, like, where is it going to be in the future? Where is heaven in the future? And... My wife, Krista, says, no, 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 people want to know, like, where is it right now? Like, is it on another planet or something like that? Well, I've really been torn about it. I don't, I don't know. This has been a problem for me. But I walked in this morning, and Big Dave Seow, he gave me the answer. He said, look, I found heaven yesterday. It's, uh, it's in Centerville. It's uh, <laughs> Spa World. Spa World out in Centerville. He said, I, I spent a day in heaven yesterday. It's uh, 13830... Braddock Road in Centerville. Now, I think specifically, Dave, you said it's Korean heaven. It's the Korean. I think that's what you said, Korean heaven. So I don't know what white boys like me are going to do about that. But if you want to visit Korean heaven, he's got a whole bunch of brochures in his car, and he, he graciously let go of one of them to me. I thought that was, that was great. All right. Ephesians, Ephesians 1.10 says this. It says that, that in Jesus Christ, God is going to bring heaven and earth together. And we mentioned that a few weeks ago. I have a few other scriptures I'd like to talk to you about this. Um, Peter says in Acts 3.21, he says, there will be a restoration of all things. This is important. Track with me. It's going to be a restoration of all things. Jesus says in Matthew 19, in a conversation he's having with Peter, he says, there is going to be a renewal of all things. So there's going to be a restoration of all things. There's going to be a renewal of all things. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a very popular verse says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So let's talk about the character of God for a second. Just God's M.O., who he is, his character, what he does. God, as you read through the scriptures, is clear that he is a redeemer, a restorer. He's a renewer. God is not, as you read through the scriptures, a destroyer or a discarder. You know, people who like, they love to clear out, just like, throw everything away. That's me. When we're cleaning out the house, Krista wants to save stuff, and I'm like, oh, let's just get rid of all of it. Just throw as much stuff away. God is not a discarder or a destroyer. He's a redeemer, a renewer. This is what he does. Like, 
he would love to restore old cars. So this, this is God's nature of who he is. And this is very important. God's original plan for this planet that he had, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that plan has yet to be fulfilled. When he said to Adam and Eve, I want you to take dominion over this earth, that plan has yet to be fulfilled. So I always thought, this is my thinking, I don't know if it's yours, I always thought, well, he's given up on that plan and we've got to go to a new plan because that whole plan just got busted. But what I have learned throughout this study is I think about God's character and I've read all these scripture verses, he hasn't given up on that plan. He's not done with it. He's not done with this planet. He's not going to destroy it in such a way that it's no longer going to exist. Instead, he's going to resurrect this planet. Just like he's going to resurrect our bodies, like he resurrected his own body, Jesus Christ. Going to restore it, going to renew it. Revelation 21, second to the last chapter in all the Bible says this. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. Now, I always thought that that meant that it was like the old, it was just gone, heaven and earth, it's just over. That's over, then it's going to be something brand new, totally new. But that's not what's going on here. So then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That continues on in verse number five and Jesus Christ sitting on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. Now, notice this. Jesus is not saying, behold, I'm making all new things like this didn't work out. So I'm going to make all new things. No, he's saying, I'm going to restore everything. I'm going to renew everything. The other thing that's very interesting from this passage, notice what it says. It says, now the dwelling of God is with men. In the garden, Genesis 1 and 2, what would God do in the cool of the day? Does anybody remember that? He would do what? He would walk. He'd take a visit to the garden. But this is totally different. When God restores this world and he renovates heaven, and he renovates this earth, he's no longer going to take visits to this earth. What we're told here is God is now going to live here. What the scriptures seem to be leading us towards is that heaven and earth are going to be joined together, and both are going to be renovated by God. A new heaven, a new earth. Not totally new, but renovated and restored and resurrected, and now heaven and earth will be joined together, and God will no longer visit. He will live with us right here on earth. So what's the location of heaven going to be in the future? It seems to be right here on this restored and this renewed planet because God is a restorer. That's what he does. And I never saw that before. It never hit me, though God is a redeemer and a restorer and a resurrector. This is what he does. This is who he is. That's good news for us. You know, because when we blow it, when I blow it, like I often do, God doesn't say, okay, I'm done with you. Let's start with somebody new. God says, let's see how we can start over again. Let's see how we can make this new again. And that's really, that's really good news. There was, this, uh, there was this Amish family, and you know, they had never, they'd never been to a mall. They'd never been to a city, anything like that. For all their life, they'd just been in the country without any modern-day conveniences. And if you know that lifestyle, you understand what I'm talking about. 
One day they had to, had the, <laughs> the family had to go, and they had to go to, um, they had to go to like a shopping mall or something like that, and they're there, and we've got the father, and he's like in his mid-50s, he's never 50, 55, 60-something years old, he's never seen any of this stuff that he's seen, you know, and uh, he's got his son with him, and his son's like 15, 16 years old, and they're sitting there, and they're waiting for the mother who was running some kind of errand, and they were sitting on a bench, and they were watching people get into an elevator. And, and then the doors would close, and people would come out. And they noticed the lady. She was like in her mid-80s, and she, she got on this elevator. The door closed, and about three or four minutes later, the doors opened, and there was this 20-year-old woman. And the son looked at the dad like, what is that about? And the dad just said, Run, get your mother. <laughs> God is a redeemer. He's, he's a restorer. He makes things new. This is, this is who God is. Listen, the, we, we talk about this often. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth that is in heaven. All right. When God Almighty joins heaven to earth, it will be the ultimate and complete answer to that prayer. That prayer, the Lord's Prayer, will one day be ultimately answered. That's what that's pointing to. Today, it's only answered in small little portions. But one day, in all of its fullness, the prayer of Jesus Christ that he taught us to pray will be completely answered. One more question, then we're going to go to application. So, people have asked, does it matter what I do on earth? Is there, is there any kind of carryover from this earth um, to heaven? Are, are there, and this is all one big ball of wax here. Are there rewards in heaven? Uh, are people judged in heaven? And the answers to all that are yes, yes, and yes. Um, Paul, writing to the Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthian church, it's important to note, is that the problem they were having is they felt like when they died and they went to heaven, like everything was a complete start over. There was no carryover. It wasn't like they were starting a new chapter in a book. There was no continuation. They felt like everything they did here, like it was just completely gone. There was no connection and something totally and utterly, you know, new and unfamiliar with no connection with started in heaven. So they felt like they could do anything. And if you know, if you've read through the book of Corinthians much, uh, man, they just, they had some, it was bad. I mean, they just did all kinds of things. It was a mess. It was chaos because of this. And so Paul's trying to emphasize them, look, there is carryover. What you do on this planet, okay, has an impact on what happens in the future. So let me give you one verse. There's a number of verses about this. But he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Judgment seat. The word that is used there for judgment seat is this Greek word bema, B-E-M-A. It was the same word that was used in the Olympic Games back then for the medal stand. So when people went up to get their whatever medals they got back then, gold, silver, bronze, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? This is the same word. This is the exact same word. And so Paul's saying, what we do in this life is going to have an impact. There will be a judgment to come. Not so much a judgment of faith, but a judgment of works for how we lived our lives. Psalm 62 says, You, O Lord, are loving. 
Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. Matthew 16, Jesus Christ speaking, says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Some of the final words of Jesus Christ in the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 22, says this. Jesus speaking, he says, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I'll give to everyone according to what he has done. So here's the thing that hit me. So God's created this awesome place, this place called heaven, right? And it's incredible. My question became this after a couple of weeks of studying. All right, so now what? So we're going to this great place, right? So now what? What what do I do now? Does God expect anything from me right now? Or am I just kind of hanging out and twiddling my thumbs, waiting to get to this great place called heaven? What am I doing? And here's the only fill in the blank I have for you today. And this is this. Totally surrender your life to Jesus Christ. So I'll say it again. Totally. So we just sang it a few minutes ago. Take my life, all right? All of it, 100%. So totally surrender your life to Jesus Christ. 100% holding nothing back. Totally and completely give everything, dedicate absolutely everything about you to God, to the work of Jesus Christ in your life. This is what we are called to do. Now, here's the thing. I think that there's a bunch of us in this room and there's definitely a bunch of us in this world that that statement, totally surrender everything to Jesus Christ, makes us nervous. That makes us nervous. I mean, it makes me nervous. I'll be nervous for you. Some people say, don't make me nervous at all. I'm just not going to do it. Doesn't make me nervous at all, all right? How can we, how can we totally do that? How can we say to God, listen, to, how can we say to God, God, whatever it takes, Whatever it takes, God, whatever you need, all I want is your will in my life. All I want to be, whatever it takes. Does that scare you? I mean, could you say that to God today with like zero fear? Whatever it takes. I want nothing but your will. Romans 12.1. I've been reading a book. I tried to every now and then just have a resource that works well. The, when we started this series, the book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn was great. And uh, I've been reading through this book a little bit, and it's very good. Chip Ingram, Living on the Edge. It's, a, it's a, been an excellent resource. really focuses on Romans chapter 12. Romans 12.1 starts this way. Very important book of the Bible, the book of Romans. 12.1 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, and here it comes, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It doesn't get more totally committed and dedicated than that. That's 100% in, 100% in. You know, it's like the pig and the chicken walking down the street and walking by the grocery store and seeing the signs that eggs and bacon are on sale, right? The chicken doesn't, you know, it's not a lot of commitment on his part. But for the pig, that's 100% commitment, right? right? He's saying living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing God. And notice this. This is your spiritual act of worship. So what is God calling us to? 100% total and complete surrender. To totally commit. Why does this scare us? Let me ask you a couple questions. Why does this scare us so much? No. I, I would imagine that very few of us in this room truly and genuinely could say, yeah, I'm excited about this. 
for the vast majority of us in this room, there's a portion of this that just freaks us out. We'll surrender some things. We won't surrender those dear things, those dear things. I want to ask you a couple questions. First of all, do you all think that God is good? I mean, are we pretty, are we pretty unified on that? We think God is good? Do we think God is loving? Do we think God is kind? Do we think that God knows everything? Do we think that God always has our best interest in mind? Think about that. There's a, a joke that I heard years ago. It just stuck with me. I must have heard it two decades ago. These two guys are stuck in the middle of the ocean. They're on a boat. A little boat. They don't have a motor on the boat. They don't have supplies. They don't have water. They have food. They have nothing. It's just two guys on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Can't see anything. And day after day after day comes and goes, comes and goes. And they start talking about this. And the one guy says to the other, you know what? I'm going to say to God, God, I'm going to make this deal, bargain with God. God, if, if you will get me off of this boat, if you will get me to safety, anything you want, 100%, my life is yours, the dedicated, the rest of my life, I'll do anything that you tell me to do. I'm going to make this bargain. And so they talked about it, and the other guy said, man, don't do that. Don't do it. Let's just wait this thing out. Something good's going to happen. <laughs> Finally, this day comes. The guy can't take it. They've gone like a week, and they're dying. They're hallucinating out there. So the guy gets down on his knees. And he looks up to heaven, he throws his hands up, and he just screams out, Oh, God, I promise you, if you get me off of this boat, and all of a sudden his friend interrupts, says, Wait, wait, don't say another word. I think I see another boat, right? He tried to stop him before he said those terrible, terrible words, God, whatever it takes, I'm 100% yours. Why? Why are we so afraid of that? Many of you know Big Russ. Big Russ, stand up so we can see you. You all know Big Russ. There he is. I can tell you personally, he appreciates the applause. He loves it. What a lot of you don't know about Big Russ, he's my father-in-law. You probably know that one. But Russ was a party animal, okay? He was a wild man. I know that's hard to imagine now. He's church every Sunday. But there was, a, there was a time in his life when he wasn't at church every Sunday. And he was just a wild man. He was the life of the party and just having a good time. And um, he had a daughter named Krista, my wife, who was completely committed to praying for him that he would accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior one day. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And she was scared one day that she felt that she should pray, God, whatever it takes, hold nothing back. I'm releasing him fully into your hands, whatever it takes. I pray that my father would accept you, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Now, what immediately thought came into Krista's head when she prayed that? Right? Was it thoughts of, this is a great thing that I'm surrendering my father totally? Was it, was it, was it positive thoughts or was it a negative thought? As negative thoughts. The thought was, oh my gosh, my dad's going to be in a terrible accident. My dad's going to get a terrible disease. Something very bad is going to happen to my dad. And then maybe he'll surrender on his deathbed to Jesus Christ, right? Because we think, we think, everybody, listen. We think that if we completely surrender to God, we, we really deep down, we'll say, oh yeah, God's good. God's loving. God's kind. But deep down, when we talk about surrender, and this is why surrender is such a problem, what we really think is that God is stingy that he'll hurt us, that he wants to make our lives miserable. I think that if I say, God, whatever you want, then God's going to send me somewhere that I don't want to be. Isn't that true? 
Almost every single person I talk to feels that way. If I surrender what's dear to me, then God's going to take what's dear to me away from me, and I'll never have it again. But listen, if God is truly loving and kind and he knows all things, everybody, right? If he's really that way, why wouldn't we want to run towards surrender instead of run away from surrender? Right? If God is really loving, good, and kind and has our best interest in mind, why wouldn't we run with all of our hearts? Oh my gosh, I've got to run and surrender to God. Instead, we seem scared. Let me give you a couple of scripture verses. There's many about this. Psalm 84 says, The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold. That's God. Romans 8.32. This is an excellent one. Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all, won't God, who gave us Christ, also give us everything else if we truly believe? So when I say to you today to write that in, totally surrender your life to Jesus Christ 100%, do you get a good feeling about that, or does that make you really nervous? Does that scare you today? Oh, man. I'll surrender most of my life to Jesus Christ, but not all of my life to Jesus Christ. You know, Will you totally surrender your future to God today? Some of us think a lot about our future. Will, will we surrender that? Will we surrender our careers? Will we surrender our marriage or the fact that we're not married? Will we surrender that completely to God for his will to be done? Our hopes, our dreams. Ah, ah, ready? Our money. Oh, man, now listen. Back up, preacher. <laughs> this, we just talk about Jesus all day long, but let's not talk about money. Okay? Our sexuality, another tough one. Our time, our temper, our energy. And you might say, well, well, John, I don't know exactly what that means to surrender those. All right, well, here's your surrender. Find out. God has a lot to say about all these major things. Listen, God's word is so incredibly relevant to every area of our life. And God is calling each one of us to surrender everything. There are some things in my life that are easy to surrender. It's like surrendering broccoli. Okay, I won't eat anymore. <laughs> a wonderful thing. But then there's some stuff that's very special. It's very near. It's very dear to me. And God says, okay, let's go. Surrender that. How are you with that? If God really, really loves you and has your best interest always in mind, and he's not stingy, and he doesn't want to make your life miserable, then why shouldn't we run towards surrendering that thing, even that thing that is most dear and special in your life? Why wouldn't we run to surrender that? I can't wait to surrender that. I want to read you a parable, and then I want to tell you a story. This is excellent. It's all about the kingdom of heaven. It's Matthew chapter 13, verses 44. This is what it said. Jesus Christ is speaking, and he says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then he, then he, in his joy, went, and check this out, sold all he had and bought that field. Here's parable number two, very similar. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Everything. 100% sold out to the kingdom. So there's, there's this guy. He's a minister. And he's traveling way out in the country, way like way out in the boondocks in the middle of nowhere. And he sees this, he sees this sign that there's some land for sale. And um, he knew he couldn't buy the land, but he was intrigued because he grew up in this area out in, way out in the sticks. And so he stopped, and uh, he called the real estate agent, and they went for a walk all over this land. It's about 100 acres. And the real estate agent said it's going to cost a half million dollars. And this guy didn't have a half million dollars. He didn't have close to half a million dollars. Nowhere even near half a million dollars. But he just thought he'd look around because he grew up in this area. And as they're walking around, he noticed something. There was like a, a cave, and he looked inside, and there was something that, that caught his attention. It almost looked like there was diamonds in that cave. And he said something to the real estate agent. He says, man, that almost looks like there's diamonds up inside of this cave. And the realist says, no. He says, we already know that nothing like that, you know, is found in this area of the world. So, it's, it, you know, you don't have to worry about that. Well, here's the deal. This guy had spent time in an area of the world where he had seen diamonds in a cave before. He just gained a certain knowledge about it. And um, from that knowledge, he felt pretty confident. He went and looked around. That, that actually, they were just, that's where you could find some, some diamonds. He'd also done some study when he was when he was in college about this kind of thing. Just so happened, so he had some knowledge about it, and um, he left there that day. He thought, "I should buy this. I should buy this land because I think it's very valuable." So you know what this guy did? This is crazy. He went and he sold everything he had. He sold his house. He got rid of his retirement program. He cashed in his kids' education fund, everything. He had. And then every credit card that he had, he maxed out. And then every one that came in the mail, all the credit, he maxed all those out too. Everything, he put it all on the line. He put himself in such tremendous debt without ever having a hope because he was not, didn't have a lot of income of being able to get himself back. He, I mean, just crazy. And he scrounged up enough money, and he got that land. And you know what was on that land? Billions of dollars worth of diamonds. Do we feel sorry for that guy? Does anybody here feel sorry for that guy who gave away everything he had, who jeopardized, who went into tremendous debt to buy a piece of land that was worth billions and billions of dollars? That's just a story. It's make-believe, totally made up. But when people sacrifice everything and they hit the jackpot, do we look at those people and say, gosh, I'm so, I feel so bad for you. I mean, you made a dumb decision to, like, to sacrifice that much, you know. I mean, I know you're, you're worth a couple billion dollars today, but gosh, that was, really, that was really foolish of you to do such a thing, to take such a risk. No, we look at them and we say, wow, you are so wise. You are so shrewd. You had a piece of information and you acted upon that information. Man, I wish I was who? You. I wish I was you. Now, I want to take you back to Romans chapter 12. Verse number one. It says this, everybody. I urge you, Paul writing, I'm urging you, everybody, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. And then notice this. 
I underlined it on your outline. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know what's interesting about that word spiritual in the Greek? It means wise. It means logical. It means reasonable. It means to be smart. We look at the guy who bought the field and sold everything to get the field full of diamonds, and we say, man, that guy is smart. I wish I was as smart as that guy. Stumble across something like that, have that piece of knowledge, and then have the guts to pull the trigger on that and to buy that field, to just sweat that out, to give everything away, to 100% dedicate. We say, man, that guy's smart. We look at the parable that Jesus Christ told about the kingdom of heaven. It's like a treasure. This and this guy goes out and he sells everything. Well, what about you? What about you right here today? What about me? The kingdom of heaven is this vast treasure. And God says, if you will surrender everything, like run at this surrender with all of your heart, knowing that I have your best in mind, why would you hold anything back? The doorway to God's best is total surrender. 100% surrender. When I thought about it this past week, what am I holding back from God? It didn't take me long to come up with an answer. My prayer for you this morning is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a vast treasure that you and I can begin to experience right here today. If we will totally surrender everything, even those special things, to God today. And my prayer is, is that each one of us can say to God today, just let it go and say, God, 100%. Whatever you want, whatever it takes, show me I'm all yours. I want to pray. We're done praying. You're going to be dismissed. You can go. You can stay in your seat and talk to God for a minute. You can go into our prayer room and talk to God. There isn't anything more important than this. Some of us here today are standing on the edge of a huge blessing in our life. We either walk into that blessing through surrender or we'll turn and walk away and we'll say, you know what? I can make it on my own. I will forego all that God has for me. I'll take just a little, but I won't take it all. It's a huge decision that all of us have to make, and it's hard to make. So I'm going to pray that God would help all of us to make the best decision. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Jesus, I want to thank you for this parable that you told. I've read that parable for years, but this past week, it's just like sprung to life in a whole new way. For years, Jesus, I have always been so afraid to pray those words, whatever it takes. But now I'm seeing it in a new way, and I hope that everybody in this room sees it in a new way. God, for all of us right now, we're all struggling with those questions and and those words, this whole idea of totally surrendering to you. Father, would you show us what it is today that each one of us needs to surrender, and that would you help us to understand that you are good loving and kind and have our best interest in mind, that you do not want to rob us of anything, but you want to bless us with your best. And help us to fully open our hands to you and say, God, whatever it is and whatever it takes, help us to surrender it to you that we might walk through this doorway into your incredible kingdom that you have prepared for us. God, I just ask that today all over this room there would be decisions that are being made where people would be headed towards blessing, blessings untold. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for coming.